If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com 1212. This is the World According to Zig podcast for February 9th, 2020. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the day from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And uh, you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com uh, a link to our other podcast, which is the more overtly political and directly related to Donald Trump podcast, the Individual One Podcast. You can also find that at my uh, Twitter feed, Zygmunt Freud, or the Twitter feed of that podcast itself, which was individual, the number one pod. Uh, lots to talk about today, still as we try to figure out where the World According to Zig podcast is heading uh, for the remainder of the year and how often we're going to be doing it. Uh, but uh, there were a number of things I wanted to discuss today, so we decided to do a, a World According to Zig podcast, including... Uh, the uh, Gail King, Kobe Bryant, Oprah Winfrey uh, controversy, which is just rich on many levels. An update on the Kobe Bryant uh, helicopter uh, crash, the site which I drove right past uh, just uh, before coming in to do the podcast today, as well as uh, what happened with Bobby Knight and the Oscars happening tonight. Uh, but I want to start with something that uh, is related to a couple of news stories that is very, very personal to me, and, and that is this issue of um, sacrifice and whether or not personal sacrifice publicly is actually worth it, uh, even when you're doing the right thing. And this is a very, very personal issue to me. In fact, this whole week has been a very emotional week. Boy, there's been so many things that have happened. I cannot remember a, a week with more significant news stories uh, that are more diverse than this past week. I mean, we start with the, the Super Bowl uh, last Sunday where the Chiefs ended up winning. And, yes, it was, a, it was a very, very happy moment for me to see my friend uh, Franco Harris and his immaculate reception be named the uh, greatest moment in NFL history uh, during the Super Bowl pregame show. Yeah, that was that was a rare moment where something actually just happened, and uh, and it was it was very it was a lot of fun to see that. And it was really fun to see Franco and Terry Bradshaw hug it out on the uh, Fox pregame because 
they, they haven't always had the best of or the closest of relationships. Terry Bradshaw's had a very complicated relationship with Pittsburgh. Well, Franco is is a hero in Pittsburgh and has statues and what have you. And of course, it was Bradshaw who threw the immaculate reception, but he gets no credit because <laughs> obviously the ball bounced up in the air and and Franco plucked it just before it hit the ground and runs it in for the winning touchdown. And anyway, I, kn- I know it meant a lot to to Franco. Uh, I've communicated with him about it, and uh, he, he he even tweeted my uh, congratulations to him that night. So. Um, that was that was fun, but anyway, uh, of the other things that happened, definitely struck, also in a good way, but obviously in a very different fashion, by the decision by Mitt Romney to vote uh, to convict Donald Trump on one count of impeachment, and and similarly, obviously related to this was the fact that uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who had testified against Donald Trump in the impeachment hearing was uh, kicked out of the National Security Council and literally escorted out of the White House, fired from his job because of his testimony against Donald Trump and even had his brother, who was a lawyer at the NSC, also uh, fired from his job because of Vindman's courageous stand. And the issue of uh, courageous stands is very, very personal to me. And, and one that has created a lot of conflict in my life. And I'm not going to compare myself to, uh, to, to Mitt Romney or, or Colonel Vindman. But I can understand, I can, I can relate uh, to their decisions and what they are going through. And while I 100% support what Mitt Romney did, and I even, I even got tears in my eyes watching Mitt Romney's speech. I really did. That doesn't happen very often to me, although it's happening more often. <laughs> this week it probably happened on two or three occasions, including with the, the Bobby Knight reunion, which maybe we'll talk about later on in the show. Maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. Maybe it's my own mortality uh, and, and seeing the, uh, you know, I'm not anywhere near the end yet, but I can, I can kind of see the end at 52. And, uh, you know, based upon my, my view of where we're headed and, the fact that I, I don't believe in an afterlife, and which I think is key in, in all of this, and, and maybe the greatest contradiction in my whole view of personal sacrifice, because while I grew up as a Catholic, I now refer to myself as a recovering Catholic. I'm, I'm essentially agnostic. On a bad day, I'm an atheist. I do not believe in an afterlife. And yet, I have lived my life, for better or for worse, very much along the lines that Principle matters, character matters, doing the right thing matters, even when you know it's not in your self-interest. Because either you want to make a stand for what is right, or you think that maybe in the long run it'll help society. Because if no one stands up for what is right at any time, uh, then you're in a whole heap load of trouble, and that your, your entire society is going to crumble and so this has been a huge issue in my life. And I don't want to, I mean, I've done a lot of dumb things. I've done uh, some wrong things. I don't think I've ever done something wrong that was a major big deal uh, out of ill intent. Uh, but I'm hardly perfect. But I have made some stances in my life and career that I was 1,000% sure were going to cause me short-term and long-term personal harm. And so I can relate to what Mitt Romney uh, decided to do this week. And I, and I know, he knows, that he is going to suffer greatly for what he did. And it has been something that I've pondered quite a bit 
in the few days since then as to whether or not this was the right decision for him. I know it was the right decision for the country, and I thank him for that because I truly believe his vote will have power for years and years to come. And from a, a purely principled standpoint and putting a, a marker down about what really happened in that impeachment trial, I think it was incredibly significant. I think even someday some future Congress may be able to use his courageous vote to help get rid of a much more dangerous tyrant that we may be facing uh, that is way worse than even Donald Trump could ever dream of being. That's that's the optimist in me that thinks that Romney's vote will be vindicated in history and may actually play a very valuable role to helping future Americans survive an even greater crisis than what we currently face with Trump. But I'm also a cynic, and I do wonder whether or not personal sacrifice is really worth it anymore. Uh, now, Romney is in a different category because he believes in God, and he believes in uh, his oath to God. Uh, presumably, he believes in some sort of an afterlife, and that eventually we will all be rewarded for doing good and theoretically punished for being bad. I guess that makes a decision like what he made at least a little bit easier, because even though you know you're going to endure short-term pain— there's hope that eventually there'll be some justice, that eventually uh, there'll be a reward. I don't believe that. And that makes it way more difficult. And to take this out of the theoretical and into the practical, you know, I made a decision uh, when I was a KFI talk show host in Los Angeles, making quite a bit of money in a, in a job most people would kill for. Uh, that I was not going to back down on the Iraq war back in 2006 when everybody else was jumping off uh, the ship because the ratings were indicating that uh, it was no longer beneficial to support the Iraq war. Now, the implementation of it, the execution of it was terrible, but theoretically, if done properly, I thought it was the right idea, and I thought abandoning it was a really, really horrible idea. Now, history can judge whether I was right or not, but that was my principle. And that was the hill on which I essentially died as a radio talk show host here in Los Angeles. And then even more dramatically, there was the whole Penn State, Joe Paterno, Jerry Sandusky situation, where I didn't even know for the first couple of years that the whole thing was a fraud. I just presumed that the, the first part of the story, the Joe Paterno angle, uh, was at the very least not proven and didn't make a damn bit of sense. And then soon I realized Joe Paterno was innocent. Then I realized the administrators were innocent. Then I realized, oh, my gosh, even Jerry Sandusky is innocent. And when I first made the decision to jump on that, I knew it was going to be damaging to me as, a at that time, a conservative documentary filmmaker who had made a very prominent film about the 2008 election called Media Malpractice and had at least somewhat of a following, had had introduced that show on the Today Show in an interview with Matt Lauer. So I had some semblance of a career, but I felt strongly enough about this that, you know, I don't care. This No one else is going to stand up for this. I, I'll do it. And, and supporting Joe Paterno was toxic, but it wasn't really a death sentence. Supporting Jerry Sandusky's innocence is a completely different story. And in 2014, after interviewing Jerry Sandusky, along with his wife Dottie, in prison for a second time, I decided and convinced Dottie uh, to go along with this, that we would uh, go 
back to the Today Show and do an interview together with Matt Lauer, ironically enough. And I somehow convinced Matt Lauer to come to Dottie's in Pennsylvania. And we did an hour-long interview, and I declared that I believed, believe it or not, that Jerry Sandusky is innocent, and it's not even that close when you actually look at the facts of the case. And this was a classic rush to judgment. This was worse than the Salem witch trial. And that the whole thing was a fraud and a scam and the perfect crime. Not a conspiracy, the perfect crime. Uh, Matt Lauer very nicely even uh, pronounced my career to be dead while on the set of the Today Show. And I agreed with him because I knew, I knew, much like Mitt Romney, that uh, that decision, even though it was factually right, principle-based, that it was going to destroy me. Now, I had less to lose than Mitt Romney. Of course, I also have less money, much less money than Mitt Romney to be able to survive uh, any sort of storm. But I still had a lot to lose. And, uh, and I, even I probably didn't fully comprehend how much I had to lose. I knew it was going to be bad. And I think Mitt Romney knew it was going to be bad, but it's probably going to be even worse for Mitt Romney than he realizes because it was worse for me. And let me give you one of dozens of examples I could give you about uh, my decision to publicly defend a man who is literally known as the most hated man in America. That's the, the title of Mark Pendergrass's book, uh, arguing for his innocence, the most hated man in America, Jerry Sandusky, a guy who I don't even like. And this has been another theme in my career. I, I will jump on hand grenades for people I don't even like if I think it's the right thing and if no one else is willing to do it. Because I believe in truth, largely because that's what my mother told me and taught me for right or wrong. And I've always wanted to honor that. I do question whether or not that was good advice because she was living in a world that no longer exists. Truth never has always won, but I don't think truth has ever been weaker than it is today, especially unpopular truths. And so when I made that decision, I don't think I fully comprehended, like, for instance, and this, this, this one is a killer uh, because you never even know what actually happened and what didn't. But at least for the time being and the foreseeable future, you know, I have two daughters, a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. The nature of young uh, kids, especially young girls, is that friends coming in and out of their life constantly, right? I mean, one day they're their best friend. The next day they break up with them. I mean, at least in my experience, that seems to be the way it works. Maybe Grace is more dramatic than that, uh, than, than others. I'm not sure, but, you know. I am the leader. Do as I say. That might have something to do with why Grace has a little bit more difficult time making friends, but that was her impression of Donald Trump from a couple years ago. But the point I'm making here is this. Imagine living a life where every time a, uh, a potential friend of your daughter's disappears, ghosts them, doesn't invite them to a birthday party, uh, you know, breaks up with them, whatever, you have to at least consider the very strong possibility that their parents Googled you and found out that you are known as a Jerry Sandusky defender. Because that's the world I live in. Not to mention that on Twitter, every single time I get involved in any sort of a, a spat, even having being totally unrelated to this, the number one thing that will happen, often by very prominent liberal virtue-signaling writers, is that they will refer to me as a Jerry Sandusky truther and drop the mic. 
And, you know, somehow that makes me inherently, which is absurd because I'm the world's foremost expert on the case. <laughs> and the facts are all on my side. and Logic is all on my side. But that, none of those things matter anymore. And so I get destroyed all the time. And that's not just, I don't care about the uh, criticism. I can take the criticism. But it is absolutely, positively, 100% made it far more difficult for me to, one, get my opinions out, but more also, as related to that, to even be paid for work. I have lost jobs because of this exact phenomenon. And I've probably lost jobs I don't even know that I've lost because of this. I, I mean, and there are all sorts of other opportunities that, that uh, evaporate immediately because that's all you got to do in this world is, you know, one line. Oh, you know, Jerry Sandusky, truther, defender, ah, goodbye. Uh, that's just the way it works. I can never coach high school sports again. I don't even try. I used to coach high school golf. I've coached high school football. I've coached high school basketball. That that I don't even bother with that anymore. Um, and, you know, look, I mean, I, I'm a big boy. You, you make your decisions in life, and there are repercussions for your decisions. And sometimes you got to do the right thing. But is it actually really worth it, especially when you don't believe in an afterlife? Because am I really going to do any good? I mean, other than there being – uh, the principle that someone stood up when they should have and that the truth is out there somewhere if someone wants to find it. Yeah, the, I guess there's some benefit in that. Uh, and But you know, is it really going to fix anything? Is the world really going to be any different? It, probably not. It's probably not. And, and the world has changed now to the extent where uh, the the negatives so outweigh the positives for these kinds of decisions that if someone asked me for their for my advice i would advise them against doing it even if it's the right thing like i'm thrilled that Mitt romney did what he did thrilled it literally brought me to tears and i'm sure that those tears were at least in part because i can personally relate in a much smaller way to his decision and what he's going to go through and what his family's going to go through i get it uh but from his own personal standpoint, it would be hard for me to advise him or anyone else to get involved. And that's really the saddest element of this whole thing because as human beings, we respond to incentives. And, you know, I, I've, I've said this for many, many years. You know, back when I w was dating a lot, uh, one of my pet peeves about women is that women always complain about how bad men are. And my response is, okay, well, if you want men to be better, then attractive women should have sex more often with good men and have sex less often with bad men. It's, it's really pretty simple. I mean, women, have an, especially the attractive women, have an incredible amount of power over how men will behave. But when you have sex with the bad guy more often than you have sex with the good guy, the good guy has far less chance of having sex with an attractive woman, unless he's super rich or famous, than the bad guy. Well, that creates an incentive structure. Well, that incentive structure is now pervasive throughout society, and it's gotten, in my opinion, way worse. And when men of honor, like Mitt Romney, are allowed to be destroyed by dishonorable men, like Donald Trump, it should not 
be surprising, especially when society does not support them in any significant way, does not provide a soft landing or any protection for them, it should not be surprising that in the future we will have fewer and fewer men of honor willing to stand up. Because even I, who has a pretty unique experience in this, would never recommend anyone to do it. And I don't think I made the right choice. I mean, it's ironic because I think it's actually the greatest work I've ever done in my career. And there are a lot of people agree, who agree with that and, and believe it's it's borderline genius and incredibly courageous. And I'm right. And, you know, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a, a book uh, citing my work. And Mark Pendergrass wrote a book with a chapter about me in it. And, you know, yeah, great, fine, whatever. But from a personal standpoint, it's just not worth it, which goes to this larger issue, which I've referred to in the last episode of the podcast of where I'm going to have to decide whether or not I just leave public life after this 2020 election. That's that's the context of all of this is there's when you're a square peg in a round hole world and there's not much you can do to change that and you can't really make the world much better and it's not uh, working for you financially and, and there's no real benefit to it. Why keep doing it? And the only answer I keep coming up with is because no one else will. And someone has to. And I, I don't want to live in a world, and I don't want my kids living in a world where no one is willing to do that. You know, just last night, my daughter Grace asked us, my wife and I at dinner, Dad, what's your job? <laughs> and my wife's like, well, uh, that's a complicated question, Grace. And I told her my job is, is telling truths that no one else is willing to tell. And I'm not sure she fully understood that, uh, but we tried to explain to her that uh, telling the truth is often uh, not uh, something that people want to do. And in fact, they would much rather uh, tell lies and people would actually rather hear lies. And that strategic lies uh, are far more beneficial to people than telling unpopular truths. And it was, it was particularly ironic because one day when I was taking her home from school this week, the uh, the song tell me lies tell me lies tell me sweet little lies came on and she didn't understand it and so i explained it to her in that context that people like hearing things that are not true if they make them feel better about themselves and conversely people feel worse about themselves if they hear a truth that doesn't fit with what they want to believe especially if it makes them feel badly about their own inadequacies because they weren't either able to figure out the truth themselves or they were unwilling to stand up for the truth. And I believe that this has gotten worse. And I realize the song was in relation to relationships, but but in a, in a larger scheme of things, I think this is a, a very important phenomenon, and it's gotten much worse, much worse, partially because of social media. And what social media has done has allowed people to believe whatever they want to believe. So the, the truth is it's much more difficult for, if not impossible, for an unpopular truth to pierce through the bubble, especially when the media has absolutely no interest in telling unpopular truths because they're desperate for ratings and they don't want to offend any of their core audience because their business model is already broken. So there's an enormous number of, of challenges and hurdles and circumstances making it almost impossible for an unpopular truth to beat a, a well-conceived or contrived lie. We've seen that with, with leaving Neverland. It was a well-conceived and 
contrived lie, which the media bought into, and now they don't want to fix it. And so it's been a big part of my mindset recently, and Mitt Romney's vote really hit home as to, you know what, maybe that's the exception that proves the rule that this is a bad idea. Because I don't know that it's going to be good for Mitt Romney. I mean, again, I'm glad he, he did it, and um, I wish more people would do it. But there's been nothing in the reaction to his his vote that incentivizes anybody in the future from doing the, the same thing. And, this, and, and the same thing with Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, who in his, in his testimony actually touted the fact that he had told his father that they made the right decision to move from Russia to the United States. Because here in the United States, you don't get killed for expressing your opinions about uh, or what you've witnessed regarding people of power. Well, he hasn't been killed yet, but his career has essentially been killed. And he and his brother are now out of their jobs. And who knows what they're going to have to put up with because of Trump's cult. And so I wonder whether Colonel Lieutenant Colonel Vindman uh, believes that uh, he did the right. I'm sure he knows he did the right thing, but whether or not he would have done it again, all in a situation that didn't result in much benefit, if any. If anything, right now, impeachment looks like it helped Donald Trump politically. And God help us if he gets a second term. So that, that's my theme of the week is, is self-sacrifice, is jumping on a hand grenade that you know is only going to harm yourself, even if it's to help somebody else you don't like or help someone who can't be helped all out of principle is that really worth it and i gotta say well i haven't come to a definitive conclusion about it uh you know uh, it's probably not and to be very clear you know the one benefit of having my legs blown off by the penn state paterno sandusky story is that when your legs are already blown off it's a little bit easier to tell the truth about leaving neverland to tell the truth about Matt Lauer, because it's kind of like, you know, what Winston Churchill used to say, uh, supposedly, you know, the greatest exhilaration a man can can experience is being shot without result. Well, I've been shot so many times, and I'm still here, still standing, at least temporarily. Bring it on. I don't care. I have no fucks to give. I'm just going to tell you the truth, and you do with it whatever you want. And so I guess there's that positive, but there's not too many people stupid enough or in my position to be willing and able to do that. And let's be clear, part of why I'm willing and able to do that is, one, I'm financially stable. I don't care that much about money. I don't care about being famous. I'm married with kids now. The only benefit of being famous is having women that would normally not sleep with you sleep with you. Well, that's no longer a benefit to me, so I don't care. So, so being famous doesn't matter to me. I got enough money where I'm going to be fine unless catastrophe occurs. Uh, my wife is incredibly understanding. Now, my kids are going to eventually resent me, I'm sure. I mean, they'll resent, always resent me when they're teenagers. That's, that's a foregone conclusion. But, you know, eventually they're going to resent the decisions I made because they're not going to be as, as well off as they would have been normally if I had made other decisions. Um, and that, that's going to suck, and I, but I'm trying to prepare myself for that. Uh, but, you know, who knows? We'll, we'll see how it all turns out. But those are some thoughts on that I wanted to share. And, again, if you're interested in more of the political aspects uh, of what happened this week, check out our other podcast, the Individual One Podcast, uh, which you can find at our uh, Twitter handle, Individual One Pod. Now, last week I talked uh, talked quite a bit about uh, the Kobe Bryant uh, helicopter crash, 
And uh, and a preliminary NTSB report came out a couple days ago uh, that was pretty much as the conventional wisdom would have expected. Uh, First of all, it appears as if there was, as I said, no mechanical error. So there was no engine problem. Uh, They don't have an actual cause or explanation for the crash yet. They definitely seem to be uh, very close to blaming the weather, which still confuses me a little bit. For those who did not hear the last episode, uh, I'm very familiar with the area in Calabasas this happened because we own a rental property off the very same exit of the 101. And my wife now believes, I had told you last week that we drove right past that 10 to 15 minutes after it happened. My wife now believes it was closer to 5 to 10 minutes after based upon her phone call record, and I'm baffled as to how we missed this thing. Because when I drove past it again uh, this week, and and no, I don't take a helicopter from uh, my home here into to Los Angeles. I, I would I would probably stop taking a helicopter if I was taking a helicopter, but I, I drive uh, in into Los Angeles to do this uh, podcast. But as I drove past the site on my way to the podcast this morning, I was really startled because the actual location, which is now easier to see because they have tarped it over. The the, the, the crash site has been tarped over. And one, I'm like, how did we miss this driving five or ten minutes past the site after it happened? Because, I mean, I must have been looking at my phone, which unfortunately is quite often when I'm in the passenger seat. I was not driving. I was in the passenger seat. My wife was driving. It's her, her car. Uh, how we missed this driving between five and 15 minutes after it happened is, is baffling to me because it's in a more uh, dramatically uh, visible spot from the highway than, than I had first anticipated. But I also didn't realize how much the crash site for Kobe's helicopter is within a what I would call a crevice or a canyon, if you will, a small canyon within the hillside. You've got the hillside, and then within the hillside, you have all these little mounds that create canyons or crevices. And it's clear now to me, having driven past it uh, in the daytime for the second time and seeing the tarp, that, okay, that makes a little more sense to me. What I couldn't wrap my brain around was how this incredibly experienced pilot in in not good but not horrendous um, weather conditions could possibly have just slammed into the side of a hill at 185 miles an hour, which is what the report now says happened. That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, even if they had you know had this spatial disorientation thing, I, I just didn't. And I'm not a pilot. I'm just trying to use common sense. But seeing that the crash site was in this little this canyon or crevice, I can now kind of see where they he could have gotten trapped in there, especially if he was disoriented. So I'm shifting away, and I never came to the conclusion that the, the pilot had a heart attack or something horrific had happened. It just seemed to make I just seemed to be it seemed to be a theory that deserved more consideration than it was getting because it would explain a lot, including the incredible changes in altitude just before the crash. I still don't understand the incredible descent uh, just before the crash. Um, 
And so there's still unanswered questions, but it certainly appears from the NTSB report that they're going to find that this was weather-related, causing a spatial disorientation, and uh, and that the helicopter did not have all the equipment that maybe it should have had under those conditions to be able to detect uh, terrain changes. Uh, obviously, we're never going to know 100%. Uh, one of the things that was most startling about this preliminary report, and I, I don't think I read it wrong, but this is shocking. According to the, the, the news report I read about this, there was a witness who was on the side of that hill 50 feet away when the helicopter crashed. 50 feet below them. A biker. Uh, now, how... I've never seen an interview with this person. And my gosh, in Los Angeles, everyone wants to be a star, so everyone you know does the interview immediately. I mean, this this person has a hell of a story to tell, but apparently they spoke to the NTSB. Uh, and that's extraordinary. I mean, imagine imagine having a helicopter crash 50 feet in front of you and then having nine people be killed and one of them be Kobe Bryant. I mean, my my wow. Okay. Woof. Uh anyway, um, so we're still waiting, and we'll be waiting for a while on what actually happened there. But there was a controversy that occurred uh, out of this that I found <laughs> rather fascinating. And it involved Gail King and Lisa Leslie, a friend of Kobe Bryant's. Gail King, of course, is the best friend of Oprah Winfrey. And Gail King interviewed Lisa Leslie. And in the interview, she brought up a couple of different times the rape allegations against Kobe Bryant. Now, to be clear, I have never felt confident in either direction about how to evaluate the rape allegations against Kobe Bryant. I, given what I now know about the possibility of, of false allegations in this realm, I would probably be far more cynical if the story happened today than I was back when it occurred when I was a talk show host in Los Angeles. But I, I never felt strongly either way. There was, there was a lot of conflicting evidence in my opinion and i i respect if you believe that he was you know uh, fall there was a false allegation or if you believe it was somewhere in between or if you believe he actually did technically commit rape I, I think there's an argument to be made for all of those possibilities i don't think this is the right time to be bringing it up because of the nature of his death with his daughter with eight other people the horrific nature of it I mean, there's plenty of other opportunities with regard to Kobe Bryant, like his Hall of Fame induction or whatever. If you want to bring this up, fine. But okay. So she, you know, and I, I'm, I'm in general in favor of rigorous questioning. And, uh, and so this happens, and then CBS plays a promo based upon this that makes it appear as if, you know, this was a major part of the interview and that, you know, Gail King is is really trying to nail Lisa Leslie to the wall on defending her friend Kobe Bryant uh, against this rape allegation. And there's a backlash. And it's understandable there's a backlash. And Gail King immediately freaks out. And she goes on social media and she throws CBS under the bus and claims this unknown, uh, unnamed at least, person uh, edited this uh, inappropriately. And, you know, I'm not even sure why we promoted it. 
uh, and and this becomes a big controversy because there's a backlash against Gail King. Now, here's what I think happened. <laughs> I think that Gail King, along with Oprah Winfrey, have proven time and time again that they are completely on the Me Too bandwagon. Uh, they will believe almost any Me Too allegation. It's part of their brand. And they felt an obligation to bring up the Kobe Bryant situation and because of their uh, you know, Me Too street cred. And, and it's worked for them. And they miscalculated. She miscalculated on this one. And she underestimated the level of backlash. And so she essentially got caught with her hand in the cookie jar. And then she wants to go, oh, no, no, no. That's not what I really meant. Well, hold on a second. You, you asked the question more than once. And, and it's not like, uh, you know, it might have been taken slightly out of context, but it's not like the, the, the video was the, the aired was concocted. It's not like it didn't happen. It did happen. So take responsibility for it. But no, 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 no. Now Gail King has to play the victim. How hilarious is that? That's pretty rich. So Gail King, who's, who, who has victimized numerous people, including Michael Jackson, since she was the one who did the James Savechuck and Wade Robson softball interview and and let's be clear how unbelievably inappropriate it was journalistically for her to be the person to do that interview because she's literally the same person as oprah they are they're two heads of the same person and oprah was the person who hosted the hbo you know after party if you will for that that uh, crap fest known as as leaving Neverland. So she put her seal of approval on it. So now Gail King is literally invested in leaving Neverland being real because if it's not, her best friend Oprah is going to look like a jackass. Well, that's, that's a conflict of interest. You cannot have her not just do the, an interview, but be the only person in America who interviewed them in an extensive way. So that was that smelled the high heaven right off the start. But now Gail King is claiming to be the victim. And boy, they are pulling out all the stops because Oprah goes on NBC's Today Show, another uh, very pro uh, Me Too outfit that, that uh, crucified Matt Lauer for reasons that are going to appear to be ridiculous in March when he finally tells his full story, the story, full story of which I am more familiar with, with than anybody in the world other than Matt Lauer himself, and that's literal. So stay tuned for that. But here was Oprah Winfrey tearing up in what appears to be uh, crocodile tears, in response to the Today Show offering up the uh, the softball for her to defend her very, very, very good friend, uh, Gail King, over this Kobe Bryant uh, controversy. Speaking of holding hearts, oh. and we did a show yesterday, Oprah, on best friends and how meaningful they are to us. And oh. I, I think the last 24 hours for your best friend have been pretty difficult after that interview oh. with Lisa Leslie about Kobe. And I just wondered just how she's doing. She and is not doing well. May I say she is not. She is not doing well because she has now death threats and has to now travel with security. And um, she's feeling very much attacked. You know, Bill Cosby is, is texting from, is, 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 Tweeting. tweeting from jail, uh, and uh, she's not she's not doing well, and feels that 
um, she was put in a really terrible position because that interview had already ran. Mm -hmm. It was over. And in the context of the interview, everyone seemed fine, including Lisa Leslie. Mm -hmm. And it was only because somebody at the network uh, put up that clip and that and and I can see how people would obviously be very upset mm -hmm. if you thought that Gail was just trying to press to get uh, you know an answer from Lisa Leslie. But um, she 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 obviously all things pass. She will be okay. But um, she what hasn't slept in two days. Really? What do you think about all that criticism? I think the vitriol is. I think mm -hmm. anybody can criticize anything, but the misogynist vitriol and the attacking to the point where it is dangerous to be in the streets alone because it's not just the people who are attacking, it's the other people who take that message and feel yeah. like they can do whatever they want to because of it, you know? Ugh, cry me a river. Cry me a river. Oprah Winfrey, who destroys Michael Jackson year, 10 years after he's dead, without any semblance of fairness, all to pursue her own corporate agenda, a guy who helped her career dramatically back in 1993, based upon no evidence, no logic, and she jumps all over Wade Robson and, and James Safechuck and Leaving Neverland. And now uh, here she is playing the victim, playing the victim for her friend Gail King, calling it misogynistic. What, what the hell is that? I don't even know what the hell that means in this context. Claiming death threats. Let me tell you about the claiming of death threats, all right? As someone who has had de uh, you know, alleged death threats, technical death threats, I've had victim number one, among other things, in the Jerry Sandusky case, Aaron Fisher, publicly state on Facebook that he's going to run me over with his truck, all right? Did I, did I cry? I laughed. I laughed about that. That would be clearly a death threat. I didn't go whining about it because you know what? 99.99% of alleged death threats, and by the way, uh, any threat of anything can be perceived as a death threat. It's always interesting to me that they never make public these death threats. I don't believe them. I, I don't believe that these death threats are real. I don't. I don't. I would even be surprised that they even exist. I think you know, is she getting some uh, threatening uh, emails or or Twitter messages? Sure. I I don't. I don't doubt that that's possible. But nothing close to a real legitimate death threat. I don't believe that she's afraid for her own uh, safety. I, who knows about this security situation? I've always believed that when you play the death threat card without providing evidence, that that's the last bastion of somebody who has no other argument and they're just looking for your sympathy. They're using it as a shield. Oh, we're getting death threats. <gasps> no. <laughs> no. And what the hell does she care about Bill Cosby tweeting at Snoop Dogg from prison? What the hell is Bill Cosby going to do? What? Serious? Really? Come on. Really? It's just flat out ridiculous. That's just, you're just making crap up so that people will feel sorry for you because you miscalculated. You went after somebody on a Me Too violation at the wrong time. You, you, and you and and you got caught, and, and you're you you put your hand on the third rail at the wrong time, and now you're crying victim. 
And, you you know, it's hard for me to conjure up any sympathy at all here based upon the record. And, yes, leaving Neverland is a huge part of that record. Interesting to note, and it's hard to know how uh, relevant this is to the movie itself, but the distribution company for leaving Neverland is collapsing dramatically. There was an article... Uh, several uh, mainstream articles about that in the last few days. And so maybe there's some uh, sense of justice, some sense of karma there. Maybe there's karma when it comes to Oprah and Gail King getting stung of after going after Kobe at the wrong time. Uh, who knows? Uh, but uh, I have no sympathy, and I'm guessing most of the people listening to this podcast have no sympathy uh, either. Uh, and it's interesting to see that there hasn't been that much I mean, you know, Gail King and Oprah are untouchable in the media, but there hasn't been a massive rush to their defense here. It's mostly been uh, hands off because the media doesn't know which side to come down on because they're afraid of touching the same uh, rail on Kobe as well. They they realize that Kobe memorial service yet, so the story is still hot, and so they're just basically going to wash their hands and move on. They're not going to defend uh, Oprah, Gail King, or go after uh, Kobe. I do want to mention uh, very quickly a couple other. Uh, stories and there's really other than the basketball angle from kobe there's no real segue here and maybe this again is me uh, getting old but i have to admit i got very emotional uh, seeing the video of bobby knight coming back to indiana university yesterday in a very surprised situation although clearly people close to it knew what was going on uh, weirdly the son of john yarmouth aaron yarmouth congressman john yarmouth who's been a constant guest on this program and Aaron Yarmouth who's a, also a friend of mine uh, we play a lot of golf together he uh, owns a, a, a independent newspaper in Louisville Kentucky where I used to be a talk show host Aaron lives a charmed life and Aaron went to the University of Indiana and just by coincidence decided he was going to go to yesterday's Indiana Purdue basketball game and not only did he just decide at the last minute to go he somehow got tickets right behind the Indiana bench in the first row this is the way Aaron's life goes. My life goes the opposite direction, but Aaron lives a charmed life. And so he just happens to Indiana basketball game. First day, he and his wife have left their brand-new newborn uh, kid at home. And what happens? For the first time in 20 years after being fired by Indiana University, legend Bobby Knight, their legendary basketball coach, in a huge surprise, comes out at halftime to be honored with one of his national championship teams, one of three national championships he won at Indiana. And this is a guy who had always pledged to never return to Indiana. And for understandable reasons, because he strongly believed, and I, I can understand them, that they screwed him over. I mean, this was before the Joe Paterno thing. This was the most dramatic college athletic firing, certainly of my lifetime, and most controversial. And, well, he was not a perfect guy nowhere near a perfect guy none of us are uh he got screwed over i believe by a liberal establishment that uh, that decides that any any uh, white male with conservative values and big balls uh, is going to be destroyed and bobby knight was targeted and again he gave them the weapons to do it he made a lot of mistakes but that's what really happened they went after bobby knight because he's a white male conservative with big balls and uh they took him out and he vowed never to return, but he suddenly did yesterday. Check out the video for yourself on Facebook or Twitter or, or Google it. It's well worth it. Um, it was both exhilarating, emotional, 
uh, cathartic, but it was also sad because it's very obvious to me that the reason why this suddenly happened is that Bobby Knight's going to die soon. It wasn't just that he looked really bad uh, and he got incredibly emotional, especially for him. This is the guy who's not a hugger, and he was hugging everybody and he was in tears. Uh, but if you just use the logic, they were celebrating the 40th anniversary of what they refer to as their 1980 national championship team. Okay, that would make sense, right? 40th anniversary, 1980 national championship. And he just decided, okay, now is time for me to make my return. Except there's a problem. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a, being a conspiracy person here. I'm just looking at this logically. They didn't win the national championship in 1980. They won the national championship in 1981. And so what's clearly happened, in my view, is someone realized, all right, it's now or never. Well, there not, might not be a next year for Bobby Knight. And so we're going to celebrate the 1980 national championship team because they did play a few games in 1980, you know, in November, December of 1980. Uh, before the 1981 season actually gets into the real portion of the season and the, and the NCAA tournament, what have you. And, and, the, and by the way, the reason I remember this is because Reagan got shot on the day of the national championship game and famously said I'd rather be in Philadelphia where I was living at the time, and you know that's where the national sh- championship game was. That was obviously 1981 because Reagan didn't get inaugurated until January of 1981. So... Reading the tea leaves, I will be stunned if Bobby Knight is still around uh, a year from now. Uh, but it was good to see, you know, that last moment there, um, and and very cathartic for people who have followed that story like I have for a very very long time. I guess anything is possible. It's always possible to if if all uh, parties are willing uh, to reconcile, and it was good to see that there. Uh, speaking of Me Too's, I do want to at least mention, and I have not delved deeply into this, but with the Oscars tonight, I think it's it's relevant and emblematic of just how out of control the Me Too movement has gotten. That this week, there was audio that was released essentially about as close to exonerating Johnny Depp as you could possibly get. Amber Heard, years ago, made an allegation of abuse against Johnny Depp. And everybody jumped on it. All the, the, the typical Me Too people, including uh, Nasher Ali, who's my arch enemy on Twitter. I mean, he was a uh, Huffington Post uh, writer who's super pro Me Too, happens to be gay. And he uh, was all over Johnny Depp. Very pro Amber Heard. No way Amber Heard is, is not telling the truth. Well, this week, an audio tape was revealed in which Amber Heard acknowledges beating up Johnny Depp. And from the audio, it certainly seems to me and to a lot of other people, and this trended on Twitter, but of course the media doesn't want to touch it because there's nothing, there's no win in it for them. Certainly seems to me as if there's a lot more evidence to suggest that Johnny Depp was the victim than Amber Heard was. And, uh, and it just goes to show in all these situations, you know, the truth is complicated, especially when romance, romance is involved. And people shouldn't be jumping to conclusions and rushing to judgment simply because it fits a narrative that they like. And, 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 and of course, when it's a, it's a celebrity like Johnny Depp, there's a, there's a lot of people that love seeing celebrities being torn down. 
and uh, that's apparently what happened to Johnny Depp. I mean, I'm I'm open to more information, but it's gotten no mainstream news coverage. But uh, there are a lot of people are, that are understandably upset about what happened to Johnny Depp, and it's another example of how not all these Me Too stories are as they appear to be. And when we finally find out the truth, it's a very different story, but it's often too late because the rush to judgment has already done its damage. Now, speaking of the Oscars uh, here in Los Angeles, I did not get an invite this year, shockingly. Uh, I, I will never be invited to the Oscars for, for many, many reasons. Um, my dog in this hunt is, is really, uh, I really love the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love it. Uh, my, my family and I, we actually uh, hiked in one of the prime uh, shooting locations, partially because we liked the movie and wanted to check it out. It is a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, I urge you to do so. I rarely ever urge anybody to watch a movie, especially in modern times <laughs> when most movies suck. Uh, Brad Pitt is going to win the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, and I'm sure that'll be a, a, a very interesting moment considering the nature of his career, and he deserves it. I doubt that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will win the Academy Award. My guess is most of the big awards will go to 1917, which I also saw. I liked it, but I thought it was too much. It was just too much. Just, you know, it was it was like Passion of the Christ. Just, you know, can we can this finally end, please? I mean, yes, it's amazing. Great job. We get it. But it's just too much. Too much suffering, too much pain, too much time. Incredibly well done. Probably deserved the directing award. I also don't like the fact that it pretends to be historical when it's really not. It's just a, an imaginary story made up out of a story that the, the uh, director's grandfather told them uh, when they were a kid, which was you know, probably not even based in any real truth. So it's, 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 a, it's basically a little bit more than a dream, <laughs> uh, and it's pretending to be historical, uh, and it's not. But again, if you, you know, it's a good movie. I wouldn't. It's not going to bother me that much if 1917 ends up uh, winning most of the awards. But it appears to me as if those are the two major uh, contenders. I really, really hope that The Irishman gets shut out because that movie is a complete load of bullshit, claiming to be real. It's uh, too long, and uh, uh, and um, some of the performances are horrendous. Um, Pacino is a horrendous Jimmy Hoffa. Horrendous. If he wasn't Pacino, if Al Pacino wasn't a media darling, people would be crucifying him for how pathetic his, his uh, Jimmy Hoffa was in The Irishman. But, of course, he gets a pass. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm hoping The Irishman gets shut out, which I think it will. Other than that... Um, We'll see what happens, and we'll talk about it at some point in the future. Uh, thanks so much, as always, for listening. As always, I ask only uh, two things of you. Number one, please uh, share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. 
performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheik's. S-H-E-E-X. Sheik's. Try Sheik's for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.